15. We are in Hooked on Parables. We are not hooked on phonics, though some of you may have been hooked on phonics. But we are hooked on parables. And I'm going to be sharing with you, we've had a lot of different um, parables that have been shared from here. And at one point, someone even talked about the prodigal son. And I'm going to be talking about the prodigal son, but I'm not going to be talking about the prodigal son that took off and left home and squandered all the money and all his inheritance. I'm going to be talking about the prodigal son who stayed home because he was a prodigal son. Okay, let's start reading in verse 25. We're going to read 25 to 32, and I'm reading from the um, New Living Translation. It says, Meanwhile... The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, I hope you're not the other prodigal. Go ahead and have a seat. This is the second half of the story. And in the second half, we discover that there was not just one prodigal son, but there were two. And Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, is sitting down with some sinners and publicans, and they're just kicking back and eating. And then Jesus goes into the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and then he goes into the parable of the lost son. It's just like lost, lost, lost. So it starts off, if you read the beginning of the chapter, Jesus starts off with the younger son. And the younger son, you all know the story. How many of you have never heard the story of the prodigal son? Oh, okay. For the benefit of two, let me give you a, a condensed version. The prodigal son was a young man who lived with his father, was rich, and one day he just got tired of being at home. Ever got tired of being home? And he goes, you know what, give me my inheritance, I'm out. So the Bible says that he got his inheritance, all his money, doesn't say how much, but it was pretty penny. And he went out, and all of a sudden, when you have money, how many of you know, you attract friends. Lots of friends. You got, you got relatives you didn't even know. On the third side of your cousin that was divorced, you know, they just come out of the woodwork. Anyway, so he got all these friends, and the Bible says that he squandered all his money. It doesn't say how he squandered it. He just squandered all his money. He just spent it all. So after he spent all the money, he went to his friends' houses, and they're like, they didn't open the door to him. They're like, I don't know you. You ain't got any money? No, I don't know you. And so there he was, no home, no money. Some of you know what that feels like. He had nowhere to go. So you know what he did? He went to go get a job feeding pigs. And he got to the point where he was feeding the pigs, and in the process of feeding the pigs, he was like, one slop for you, one slop for me. One slop for you, one slop. Have you ever 
seen what pigs eat. I have because I used to feed pigs. Um, they just eat slop. It's called slop. It's like all your leftovers all thrown together. Blech. And, um, and so he started eating that. And he was doing that for a while. Until one day he was like, duh, what am I doing eating this slop? The servants in my dad's house are even eating better than this. He goes, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my dad, you know what, I, I messed up. I, I'm sorry. I will be your servant and I will do whatever you say because I don't deserve anything. So he's telling himself this and he walks home and while he was still far off, the Bible says that the father saw him, and when he, uh, he saw his son, he told the servants, go kill a fatted calf, we're throwing party. My son, who was lost, has now been found. He, is, he was blind, but now he sees. So, so what happens is that the, the son comes back, he puts on a robe, puts on a ring, you know, he's, a, he's back. He's his son. And, um, and so there we are. Now we're at the party. So the older son who has been working all day, he don't know what's happening. He's like clueless. Have you ever been coming to your house and all of a sudden you hear music? You hear dancing? You hear people having fun? And you're like, what's up with this? It wasn't on my calendar we were having a party. This is my house. Nobody told me. So when he comes in from the field, he hears this party going on. But you know what's really something is that he doesn't go inside to find out what's up. He gets a servant who's walking around. He pulls him, and he goes, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother, he was lost, and now he is found. Your dad has killed a fatted calf. Your dad has put a ring on his finger. Your dad has put a robe on him, and we're celebrating. Now, you know what's interesting about the older brother is that he could have walked in and found out what was going on. He could have walked in and looked for his father. But he chose to stay outside and ask questions. See, when we look at how the son talked to the father, we can see the kind of relationship that he had with his dad. Because in verse 28, the Bible says the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. So his father had to come out of the party, and the Bible says that he begged him. Come on, come inside. Man, this is not a party without you. This is your brother. Let's be happy. Come on. The older brother was angry. He was bitter. He was upset. He was sulking. He was mad. He was stubborn. You know what's really interesting is that in this portion of Scripture, he never calls him dad. He never calls him father. But he literally spits those words out because he was unable to control his anger. He demands an explanation from his father because in verse 29 it says, all these years, he doesn't say dad. He says, all these years. It's almost like you could see him jamming his finger in his dad's chest. All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. I've been your slave. The son is telling the dad, I've been your slave. He doesn't say, I've been your son. He doesn't say, I have been here for you, Dad. He says, I've been your slave. What kind of a relationship is that? There are people who are in the church who have that attitude of the older son. I've been here. I've been here a long time. I've been your slave. Sometimes we can look like a son or daughter. We can act like a son or daughter. But we really aren't a son or daughter. This older son was a son. But he wasn't acting like a son. He wasn't talking like a son. 
And I want to share with you three ways to look to see if you have an attitude. Or let's just say if you're acting like the older son did here in this parable. Sign number one. Sign number one is we may be the older son if we boost or elevate our righteousness. It's like, I'm good. Because in verse 29, he says, For years I have worked for you like a slave, and I've always obeyed you. Ever been told that word, always? That usually comes out in marriages. I know it always did in mine. You always make the wrong turn here. You always throw your clothes on the floor. You always, and you never. Um, is my marriage the only one that went through that? Okay. Those are two words that we call superlatives, always and never. And when that word comes out and you're married, back up. Don't get into always. I always do this because then now the, the, the argument shifts. Now it's no longer about the issue of throwing clothes on the floor. Or now it's no longer the issue of making the wrong turn. Now it's like, oh, I always do that? Really? I always? Okay, well, then I'm going to make sure that I always do that from now on. Are you feeling me? Because when you use those words, you know it's on. You know it's on. And the older son is telling the, fun, the father, I have always obeyed you. Well, I'm telling you, he wasn't obeying him that day. Because as the oldest son, he was supposed to have been co-hosting a party, any party, with his father. He was supposed to have been inside co-hosting but instead he was outside and he's insisting I've always obeyed you what he was doing is he was dishonoring his father in front of all the guests and in front of all the servants because he was outside don't you think the servants were eavesdropping because they were listening to the father begging him to come in come on in my son come on in and the servants have a man he ain't even listening to his father. Check him out. People are watching. But he doesn't see that. All he sees is what he sees. Then he tries to make himself look good. And he tries to boost his own righteousness. And he said, I have always obeyed you. The truth is, he never obeyed his dad. Because, see, you cannot obey just by actions. Obedience comes from the heart. This young man didn't understand true obedience. What he understood was agreement. He understood how to follow orders. But he doesn't know that obedience comes from the heart. You know that there are men and women who are in prison today and they follow orders real good and you know what the CEO says man you know what they're obedient they're good let's make them a trustee because they're obedient they're not obedient they're just following orders because obedience comes from the heart you let that man or that woman out, you think they're going to be obedient to the law? I don't think so. See, this is why we see people go back. I mean, I really thought about this when I was putting, I, this is why we see people backslide. Because, see, they accept Christ as their personal Savior. We see them grow. We see them develop. We even see them become leaders. But then one day, we don't see them anymore. And we're like, what happened? They were just here. They were just sitting right here. They've been here how long, and now they're gone? Oh, they can serve God for a while. And they can even blame other people for leaving. But eventually, they wind up leaving God. Why? 
because they were obedient through their actions and not obedient from their heart. Because when we are obedient with our actions, we will do everything that looks good, everything that would get us to climb the ladder, everything that would put us in a position of getting a bigger salary or a bigger title or a bigger position or whatever it takes. I, I am here. I have ordered. I'm, I'm at your service. Whatever you want. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. And there are people who will climb the ladder of success, whether it be at church or whether it be at your job, just through obedience. You hate it, but you're doing it anyway. Because you're on the ladder. You're climbing. And eventually, your heart will reveal its purpose. There will always be those who want to point out other people's faults. Always be those who say, well, what about them? And what about them? Look at them. See, I, I go through that. People leave and they want to they blame me or they want to blame somebody else. No one wants to leave smelling like a skunk. They all want to smell like a rose. Why is that? What's up with that? You're a skunk, be a skunk. But I'll tell you this, the truth always comes out. Not sometimes. Not a little bit of times, always, superlative. And you know why I can say always? Because it's in the word of God. Always comes out. There have been people who have left, and I know that they were in sin, but they don't want anybody else to know they were in sin. And it was easier to leave than to change. So they may look good and they may look righteous for six months, a year, two years, five years. But one day, the truth always comes out. Always, always comes out. You have guys who leave the home and they're like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got it together. I've been here three weeks. I know everything there is to know. What else can you teach me? Been there, done that. And they walk out with their head held high, proud and haughty little spirit, and it takes them all of maybe two days. And bam, they hit the ground. I remember a story that John Maxwell told us at a conference. I remember going to a conference over here in San Jose that he was at, and, and he shared this story, and I'll never forget it. It impacted my life. I was sitting next to my husband, and, and I never understood why he did certain things the way he did. And on that day, when John Maxwell gave this story, like, the light bulb went on, and I was like, okay, now I understand. He told the story at this conference, and he said that he had someone on his staff that he had to release. And it was very hard because that man had been with him a long time, and they were close. Their families were close. But after releasing him, this man went on to talk really bad about John Maxwell. What could you say about him? But he did. And John told his wife, stop, because his wife was telling him, you need to defend yourself. You need to say something. You need to tell everybody. And he's like, you know what? You need to stop. I'm not saying nothing. Because the Lord had told him to be silent. So John looked like the bad guy. And people, not just this man and his family, but other people in the church left behind this incident. And John was quiet. Never, ever said anything bad about this man. Years later, that same recurring sin came into this man's life. And on that day, John was released to say, that is why I had to let him go from our staff. 
And then people came up to him and said, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you vindicate yourself? Why didn't you, you know, people left behind that incident. And John Maxwell said, God is my vindicator. He does a better job than anyone else. And I remember hearing that, and you know, that changed my life. Because that was a lesson that I not only learned that day, but I continued to learn. Because this is just like the older brother. The older brother who stands outside the entrance of the party. All he had to do was walk just a few feet through the door into his father's house. And he would have been able to enjoy the feast. And enjoy the fun and the music and the dancing and everything that was going on. I think a lot of us would probably act like the older brother today. Demanding an explanation. Expecting an apology. Wanting some kind of restitution. Do you know how long I've been here? And this guy just comes in, been gone, and all of a sudden, you throw him a party at your house? And I've been here all these years, and you never threw me a party. You never even acknowledged it was my birthday. I think that if the father would have been hard on the younger son, making him a servant rather than restoring him to being his son, I think if the father would have made the younger son suffer just a little bit, then the older brother would say, it's okay, bro. I'm here for you. It's okay. But see, the father did not bring the younger son back down here. He brought him back to be an equal with the older brother. But this guy went out and he sinned and he did this and he did that. And the father says, don't matter. It's my son. I can do whatever I want. What about you? Do you compare yourself with others? Are you better than them? Because, see, that was the problem with the older brother. He was better than his younger brother. We all need to see that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And until we do, we're going to be green with envy. Because following the rules, obeying orders, does not bring you anything but emptiness. In fact, after a while, if you've been obeying orders and you've just been following the rules, you're going to start resenting the things that you're doing. And you're going to find yourself emptier and emptier and emptier. And then you're going to become angry and you're going to become bitter just like the older son. And then, see it's a progression, then you're going to become critical of those who don't work as hard as you do. I'm here all the time. I'm here on time. I'm here 10 minutes before I'm supposed to be here. And you begin to be critical of other people. We may be the older son if we lift up our own righteousness and forget about our own sins. Sign number two. Man, you guys are quiet. Are you here? <laughs> okay. Come on. Show me your life. Sign number two. We may be the older son if we magnify the sins of others. See, verse 30 says this. Yet, now, this is the older son talking to the dad again with his finger in his chest and said, yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Now, do you notice the phrase? This son of yours didn't say my brother. Didn't say my younger brother. This is your son. Now, I understand this kind of phrase because if you have children, sometimes parents use this phrase on each other. When the kid does something exceptional, no, it's not our son, it's my son. 
I mean, he hit the game-winning home run. He dunked that basket in. My daughter won the poetry contest. That's my daughter. That's my son. But when he gets into trouble, your son is following your family's footsteps. Your son has got issues. See, this son of yours was a phrase that could be said of someone who was outside the family. Because, see, a stranger would go up to you and say, so how's your son? How's your daughter? See, that is what the older brother was doing. He was speaking as if he was not part of the family. This is your son. He's just yours. I don't have anything to do with him. Cut. Done. This scripture in verse 30 said, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. Now, this is a real interesting part of the story because if you read the whole story, there is never one mention that the younger son spent money on prostitutes. Where did this older brother get this from? And why would he say that? It never says he wasted his money on prostitutes. The Bible says he wasted his money on reckless living. That's what he says. I mean, reckless living could be he wasted it on gambling. He wasted it, you know, playing cards. He wasted it on a lot of stuff. He just, the Bible says reckless living, but the older brother says he wasted it on prostitutes. <laughs> now, where did that come from? I have to believe that the older brother just made it up. Because, see, he wanted to look good. He don't want to be a skunk. He wanted to be a rose. He just wanted to make his younger brother look bad. So he takes the little that he knows. He knows that he threw his money away on reckless living, but now he throws in, ah, he did it on prostitutes. And the sad part is, we've all done the same thing. So many people have said, did you know what he did? No. And you only know that he spent money on reckless living. But, oh, no, you got him down at the dealers. You got him down, you know, falling down, down the street. He is so loaded, so messed up. And you don't even know that. We fall into the same trap the older brother did. And sometimes it's over a cup of coffee. Let's go meet at Starbucks. Let's go get a bite to eat. And then we get together and say, you know what? I have something I want you to pray about. Really? This is a burden. I have such a burden. Would you pray with me? Well, what is it? Well, you know, I really don't want to say anything because, you know, but keep this between me and you. Okay, don't say nothing to nobody, just between me and you. <laughs> you can't wait to get out of there and tell somebody. In fact, as soon as you go to the bathroom, you take your phone. <laughs> Guess what? I'm here, and I'm at Nations, and I'm meeting with this person, and they told me the whole thing, and I'll call you later. <laughs> and then you come out and say, is there anything else? You're the older brother. See, some of you are sitting in the backyard. You don't want to go into the party. You're sitting outside. You've already been the judge and been the jury, and you like it. You wear a mask that looks holy and sanctified, but the truth is, you're negative, you're judgmental, 
and you're a gossiper. It's the bottom line. It seems like every time you get together with someone, did you hear? Did you know? No me digas. <laughs> Don't tell me. Okay, but go ahead. Si me digas. There are some people who are the older brother who tend to always find fault with people around them. Passing judgment has just become a habit. Just a habit. You don't even realize it. I mean, it's just done like second nature. And there's always a little bit of a cruel and sarcastic comment behind everything you say. Every time someone's weakness is mentioned, you use it to put it, them down. Every time we do that, we become the older brother who's at home, standing on the outside, judging those on the inside. See, I'm sure that the older brother who was standing outside was asking the servant, so who's in there? That, that person, psh, they don't even belong here. I don't know why they came. That one, oh man, psh, you should know what I know about them. And the older brother is standing outside judging everybody that's on the inside. The question I have for you tonight is, will you give up your position as judge and jury over people? Will you confess the judgmental spirit that is going on in your heart that no one sees, but you know? Because you have no warmth, you have no compassion, you feel no obligation to help those that have walked away from God. In fact, you kind of enjoy pointing out the wrong. Will you accept that you're like the older brother? So, number one, we lift up our own righteousness. We exalt ourselves. Secondly, we magnify the sins of others. And third and last, we may be the older brother if we try to stop the Father's grace. Now, this one is the worst one of all. Because we can lift up our own righteousness and we can magnify the sins of others. But the bottom line is when we try to tell God, don't have grace on them. We're getting ourselves into something. It's like, I could just tell you, you're out of your league. You're out of your league. All the self-righteousness and the critical spirit all the older brother was saying is, it's not fair. It's not fair. This son of yours comes back. He gets the fatted calf. He gets the dancing. He gets the party. He gets the music. It's not fair. It's just not fair. Now, I don't know how many of you have had more than two kids. But if you've had more than two kids... If you haven't heard this, you will hear this. It's not fair. They get to stay up later than me. They get more food than me. They didn't even get punished like me. They got a bigger present than me. What else is there? I mean, there's a whole list. I should ask my daughter, huh? So they know. See, I used to hear that all the time. I had three. And you know what? I think is the funniest thing. I really do. I, I think it's hilarious that each of my kids thinks that the other one is the favorite. True? They all think she tells me Esteban's the favorite. Esteban tells me Stephanie's the favorite. Stephanie tells me Val's the favorite. They all point at each other and I go, you know what? I must have did a good job because they all think everybody else is the favorite. I hear it all the time. All the time. You always treat her different. You look at him. And I'm like, okay, fine. It's not fair. See, the older brother was secretly thinking that the prodigal son had more fun in the world than he had being at home with his father. The prodigal son had more fun doing everything that he did, and here I am, stuck at home, 
being the slave, obeying everything that I'm told to do, and I don't even get a party. When we compare our lives with anyone else, I will tell you this, we will always wind up with a short stick. Our cry is, it's not fair. And I'm going to let you know, that is a miserable way to live. Always looking at somebody else. Always looking at your brother or your sister. Always looking at somebody here in church and saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, I grew up like that because out of nine children, we all agree. We know who my mom's favorites were. See, I was my dad's favorite, so, and he's gone. So I had to give up the throne, and my mom took on two others. I wasn't her favorite. I was my dad's favorite. So, and we all agree. We all know. And when we tell them, ah, you're just mom's favorite. The, well, <sighs> they don't know what to say because they already know it. But you know, it's a miserable way to live when you're always looking at somebody else and say, they're the favorite and I'm not. That's a sad way to go through life. Because see, there's a party going on. There is a party. The Bible says that when one soul comes to know Christ as their personal Savior, all the angels in heaven are rejoicing. There is a party going on all the time because 24-7, there is a soul being won to the Lord. Man, they know how to party. I can hardly wait to get there. The kingdom of God is made up of all of those who have learned and are learning how to rejoice with those who rejoice. When your brother or sister gets blessed and you're hurting, can you honestly say that you're rejoicing with them? I had a phone call mm, probably about six weeks ago from another pastor who I would probably tell you went through hell. I mean, he literally did. Literally. And it, it, was, it was really hard. And I didn't have communication with him, but I had communication with his wife. And during that time that he was going through what he was going through, his wife was ready to say, you know what, I'm out. I can't handle this. And I pulled her in, and I talked with her. I met with her, flew over there to talk with her, and, and, and I kept communication with her. And anyway, as soon as the trial was over for him, they came back together, and they're, they're together still. And about six weeks ago, he called me up, and he said, you're not going to believe what has happened. I said, what? He goes, you are not going to believe. Are you sitting down? And I just happened to be in my car. I go, yeah, I'm sitting down. I was actually parked in my driveway. And the people in my house know that I can spend an hour outside sitting in my driveway, <laughs> talking on the phone. Um, and so I was sitting in my driveway, and, and, and he says, you know, he says, you know what I've been through this past year. And I said, yeah. He says, you know that there were times when I just wanted to die. And I said, I, I can imagine. He says, and you know, and he started sharing with me all the things that he had gone through and all the difficulties that he had gone through. <coughs> and, uh, and then he says, but I have something to tell you. And I said, what? He said, I just want to let you know God is faithful. And I said, what happened? I'm like, what happened? And he told me that someone in his congregation that went through the home, that when he went in, he was just an alcoholic. He was messed up. He was living out in the street. He went through the home, graduated. And when he graduated, his father gave him his inheritance. And when he got his inheritance, he tithed his inheritance. His inheritance just happened to be 4.2 million. And what he, this man did is he went out and he bought a whole shopping center for the church. And he's telling me this 
And I am sitting there, and I am rejoicing. I am truly, truly happy. I'm sitting there in my car, and I'm literally crying. And I was like, you know, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And then he's crying, and I'm crying. And we're just talking about the faithfulness of God and what he had to go through to get where he got. And, I, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I can't even tell you how happy I am for you. I am, I am so blessed that you've been blessed. And that came from my heart. Now, could we use 4.2? And a nanosecond. But God blessed him. And I'm truly, truly happy for him. Now, when people get blessed, how do you feel? Like, man, that should have been mine. Man, how come they got it? And what about me? What about me? It's not fair. Every time we pass up an opportunity to rejoice, we also pass up an opportunity to welcome God's grace. See, some of you are sitting outside the house in the backyard, and you don't want to come in because you've gotten a little bit bitter. Others have gotten all the breaks. They've gotten all the blessings. They've got the husband, the wife, the kids, the car, the house, the dog name spot. They got it all. And somehow, you got overlooked. You see, prodigals, they, they come back. And when they come back, even in this church, they may wind up being the guest of honor. They may wind up sitting in the front row. They may wind up with a title and a position. And what are you going to say? How are you going to act when that happens? Is it going to be a bump on the log for you and you're going to be able to keep on going? Or is it going to be a brick wall that you hit and you're like, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I've been here longer, done more stuff. Been more faithful. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Just because you're not the guest of honor. Are you going to rejoice with those who rejoice? Are you going to be grateful for what God has given you? Or are you just going to walk away and say, you know what? I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. The Bible says that the scripture, the last scripture says, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. See, the father kind of overlooks all the insults that the older brother has just given to him. And even though the son did not address him as father or dad, the father addresses his son as my son. Now, this is not just a my son word. This is a very tender word. This is a, a word that when you look at it in the Greek, it's a word that you would use for a little baby. My son, my mijo. Now, this is a man, and he says, mijo. He gives him cariño. When he did not give him the respect of being his dad, the father turned around and gave him cariño. Cariño is tenderness. That's what he gave it to him. And he says, my son, my child. The father says to the child who wouldn't call him father, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. The father says to the son what God says to you and I right now. What I have been offering you all these years is me. And if living at home with me is not enough, then all the parties, all the property, all the money in the world will never be enough. If you are not content with your relationship in God, then it doesn't matter what you get because you'll never, ever be happy. 
You won't. Because the relationship that you have with him should never be contingent upon a title or a position. It should never be contingent upon the house that you live in or the car that you drive or the money that's in your bank account. It should never be contingent upon the clothes that you wear or the rings that are on your finger. Never. If you're serving God for that stuff, you know what? Let me just tell you, you're not going to last. You're just not going to last. Because being in the house, being in your dad's house needs to be enough. Because every time your brother or sister gets the limelight, every time somebody else gets celebrated, every time somebody else gets picked to be the leader, every time somebody else gets a title, you're going to have the older brother's attitude. And you're going to choke yourself. I see it all the time. I see it in the home. You see some guys rise up faster than others. Some guys have been there four or five or six months, and then you get this kid who comes in, and all of a sudden, within three months, he's staff. And you want to start yelling, and sometimes they do. Right, Well, <laughs> He's just smiling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. And they start saying, it's not fair. I've been here longer. I've done more for you. Have you done it for Will or have you done it for God? See, because that's the time that all of what you have done is all going to start coming out when other people get highlighted, when other people get the title and position. See, God desires a church to be where a prodigal son or daughter can just come in and everybody will embrace them. And not say, that's your brother. That's your sister. They ain't part of me. I've been here. I've been faithful. I've been giving. I've been this. I've been that. You've been an older brother. When we get to the point where we can start embracing prodigals, when we can say, you know what, this is my brother, this is my sister, then we're really family. But as long as there's a competition going on around here, as long as there's this competitiveness, the older brother with the younger brother, as long as there's the attitude of the older brother is here, you're the one that's going to be miserable, nobody else. And then you're going to wonder why one day you're sitting here and the next day you're out there. And then you're going to say, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I don't smell like a skunk. It's their fault. It's their fault. I got overlooked. They bumped me. Somebody said something wrong about me. And they believed it. And you want to just throw everything on everybody else. The father says, for so long, I lived in sorrow over a lost son. For so long, I kept looking every day to see if he'd return. And now that I have him back, do I have to lose another son? Do I have to lose another daughter? When the father looks into the eyes of his son, the older son, I wonder what he saw. Did he see hurt? Anger, confusion, I don't know. Because, see, Jesus stops right there. He just stops right there. He doesn't say what happened with the older son and his dad. He doesn't tell us, oh, they embraced and they cried on each other's shoulder. And then he went inside the party and, and they threw chancla and it was good. And didn't say that. Throwing chancla is dancing the term I grew up with. He doesn't finish the story. That's where it ends. It ends right there. Now, why wouldn't Jesus finish the story? Is it because he couldn't think of an ending? Yeah, maybe that's it. Jesus just couldn't figure out what kind of an ending to give it. But I think 
It's because the ending still has to be written. It's because all of those Pharisees who were listening to Jesus tell the story, they were going to have to finish the ending. Because you're going to have to finish the ending. The story is going to end one of two ways. You're either going to be the older brother who turns away from the father, who goes back to the field, who works in coldness and bitterness of the heart and never, ever goes back into the house with his father and his younger brother. Oh, he did his work. Maybe he followed the rules, but he never went back in the house. He grew to hate his brother, and he grew to hate his father. And when he died, he died all alone. See, the story could end that way. Or it could end like this. That the older brother, after seeing the heart of his father, that he would fall to his knees and that his hard heart would be broken and he would be made tender and that he would go into the house with his father and he would see that skinny, wasted brother and he would go up to him and embrace him and love him and cry with him. That his heart would be overwhelmed with love. That he would throw his arms around his brother and he wouldn't let go. That he would say, let's dance. Let's eat. Let's laugh. Let's sing. Let's cry. Could end one of two ways. How does the story end with you? It's up to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed.